Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? Pretty good? Well, let's see if we can keep it that way. All right, a few days ago, the Department of Labor reported uh, an additional 600,000 new jobs were added in October. 600,000. How I many know oh, that's pretty good news? However, according to a recent Gallup poll, 85% of the American workforce say they are unhappy with their current job. 85%. That's better than 8 out of 10. And of the 85%, over half are seeking a career change. And most of these unhappy campers are saying that they hope to land that elusive dream job. Ever think that? Ever wish you were so excited you'd jump out of bed in the morning so you can't get, you're so excited you can't wait to get to work? I know my staff feels that way. Uh, you don't? Or how about going on a dream vacation? Do you have a place in mind already? You've been thinking about a spot? Hawaii, Italy, Greece, Cayman Islands? Or how about this one? Have you ever imagined yourself behind the wheel of your dream car, just cruising along without a care in the world? I know I have. In fact, I have got a little picture here for you. See, the Batmobile or the Chevy Corvette has been my dream car since I was a boy. Wouldn't you love to see me drive in that car? Kim Silver, what do you think? You like to see me in that car? All kidding aside, as Dave mentioned just a few moments ago, today we want to begin a brand new series entitled, entitled Dream Church. Can I get you to say that? One more time. Dream Church. Of course, we all know there's no such thing as a perfect church, mainly because churches are made up of people and pastors. In case you don't know, pastors are people too, and we're far from perfect. But if you had it your way, what would your dream church look like? You know, believe it or not, 30 years ago, almost to the day, that's the very question Pastor Therese and I asked ourselves as we prayerfully considered the launch of Community Christian Church. In the fall of 1991, during the early stages of development, before we even held our first service, we prayed a prayer. And we said, Lord, we want a church that we all love, but more important than that, we want a church that is pleasing to you. God, we want to please you. And in response to that prayer, the Spirit of the Lord led us to a couple of Bible verses that became our theme verses. The first one is found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10. Speaking of Abraham, the Bible says that he, who's he? Abraham, just told you, speaking of Abraham, he looked for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. See, we've embraced this concept from day one. 
we've always referred to Community Christian Church as God's church. And we've prayed a prayer for 30 years. Lord, we want to be in the very center of your will. Not our will, but your will. And then a second passage of scripture that the Lord led us to is found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Referring to the early church, the scripture says that they, the people of the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone, how many people? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Don't look now, but that's a dream church. The Acts 2 church of the first century church was the greatest picture, uh, the, the best illustration of what community and commitment looks like. I mean, it's, it's like the best picture you get anywhere in the scripture. And for you community Christian church lifers, those of you who've been around a while, you'll remember that we could hardly get through a church service during the early days of community Christian church without referencing this passage. Because that's the goal. That was the mission. A community of believers fully devoted to God with Jesus as our foundation. That's as good as it gets. And so for the purpose of this November series, what I want to do is I want to highlight three elements or three attributes of a dream church. Three elements of a God-honoring local church. Here they are. Are you ready? Grace. uh, Anyone else ready? Okay, so grace, generosity, and gratitude. One more time. Grace, generosity, and gratitude. As you can see, this is not an exhaustive list. I can anticipate a sequel or two in the future, but for this time around, this first run at it, Those are the three elements I want to talk about. Grace, generosity, and gratitude. And today in lesson number one of this series, I want to look at the topic of grace. You've heard me say this a bunch of times, and I will continue to say this. Grace is the only way to get saved, and grace is the only way to stay saved, and grace comes from God, period. I'll say it again. Grace is the only way to get saved. It's the only way to stay saved, to continue to worship the Lord and to serve him. And grace comes from God, period. In addition to grace being the unmerited favor of God, that's the the usual or the typical definition that we'll give to you. Because we don't deserve his grace. We can't earn it. He just gives it to us because he's a good God. But in addition to grace being the unmerited favor of God, grace is God giving us and providing us everything we need to live the Christian life. Everything we need to do his will, 
to walk obediently before him and to serve him with all of our hearts. Thank you, Bill Gothard, because he's the one who gave us that definition, and I'm a huge fan of it. Grace is how we live the Christian life. It's how we stay in step with the Spirit. It's how we follow the Lord. And so as we begin, let me give you a couple of significant grace Bible verses. The first one, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You can't even begin to talk about the grace of God without quoting this passage. For by grace, by what? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. My personal favorite. For the grace, the what? The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, what's it? Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and it teaches us to say yes to a self-controlled life, living upright and godly lives in this present age. Grace does all that. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says that my grace is sufficient for you. This is God talking, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Ever sensed any weakness? Ever felt weak? The scripture says God's grace is sufficient for us in our time of weakness. It's available to us when we don't feel our best. Last one, Hebrews 4, 16. I want you to remember this one. I'm going to quote it a little bit later. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that amazing? At God's throne of grace, the place where we should be hanging out, the spot that we should be living the majority of our lives because God has invited us to be there, Grace is available. It's in stock 24-7. No empty shelves when it comes to grace. Grace is there from start to finish. And grace is the answer. For a believer, we'll never stop needing the grace of God. And God's grace will never run dry. We never stop needing his grace. His grace will never run dry. And the optimum word in both of those statements is never. His grace is sufficient for us. Therefore, with regard to salvation, spiritual visitation, physical transformation, and eventually heavenly habitation, so not only living our lives here on earth, but also the promise of eternal life with the Father forever and ever. Grace, 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 and grace. That's the only way. Grace is the only way that we can get saved. Grace is the only way that we can grow spiritually. It's the only way that we're ever going to see a physical transformation take place in our lives and our hearts. It's the only way we're going to spend eternity with God. Bottom line, 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in grace. Can I get you to say that? Grow in grace. One more time. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And see, with my articulation of grace and the importance of grace, some of you are already tuning out. I can see it. It's happening right before me. 
right before my eyes. Because we have talked about grace so much, it's like, tell me something else. Tell me something I don't know. 2 Peter 3.18 says, grow in grace. Every one of us needs that. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the New International Version, the NIV. The New Living Translation says, grow in grace. The King James Version, grow in grace. The New King James Version, the Amplified, the Passion Translation, the Message, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, Phillips, and any other translation you could possibly find appeals to us as believers and says, grow in grace. In grace, we are to develop and increase, be built up and burst forth. Are you getting this? His grace is what keeps us plugged in spiritually. His grace is what forms our hearts into hearts like his. His grace is what helps us overcome our weakness. His grace is everything I just mentioned and more. In fact, in addition to all of these wonderful blessings that I just described, God's unequaled, unparalleled, endless, forever grace also provides us, it gives us the promise and the hope of a better tomorrow. Can you imagine that God's grace does even that? Gives us the hope of a better tomorrow. Grace declares that this is the day the Lord has made and it's a new day. Grace tells us that. When we grow in grace, when we are standing before the throne of grace, interacting with God on a regular basis, the word of the Lord is it's a new day. And friend, prophetically, this is the word of the Lord for the church today. It's a brand new day. On God's dispensational calendar, it's a new day. It's time for us to celebrate a new day. It's time for us to understand God has something new in this season for us. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2 says it like this. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon who? Upon you. Not just me, upon you. You see, darkness covers the earth and thick or gross darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you and the glory of the Lord appears over you. Here God is saying, stop focusing in on all of the darkness and start paying a little greater attention to the promise of my blessing in the midst of the darkness. Please note in this passage, one that you, some of you have already memorized, that God did not say, I'm going to remove the darkness. doesn't say that, that God was going to take the darkness away. But what he did say is, my power and my glory is going to rest upon you. My power is going to come upon you. In other words, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. I'm going to pour out my spirit on the church. And I'm literally going to transform the church into a dream church. I'm going to do something today in this new season that you would never even think or imagine is possible. 
And I guess the million dollar question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that this could possibly be the time frame for a spiritual awakening and a brand new move of God where God would pour out his spirit and God would do something that is well beyond what we could ever anticipate? And I'm sure right about now some of you are thinking, no chance. It's not going to happen, Pastor. No way. And if you focus on outward appearances, I would probably have to agree with you. Except for one thing. The grace factor. Let's not underestimate the power of God's grace. And throughout the centuries, it wouldn't be the first time that God astonished and shocked his people with an unbelievable holy visitation in the middle of hopelessness and despair. It would not be the first time. In fact, what I want you to do is consider the day of Joshua. I'm going to talk about for just a few minutes some things that have taken place in the scripture and I want you to see if we can make some kind of parallel to today. The scripture tells us that following the miraculous rescue and exodus of the people of God out of Egypt or the place of bondage, Moses stood up in front of the people And he said to the children of Israel, God is now going to lead you through the wilderness. He's going to lead you through the vast desert to the promised land. Moses says, God promised this land to Abraham, your forefathers, hundreds of years ago. And now is the time for us to take possession of this promised land. And so you remember the story, what happened? Abraham gathered together a team of about 12 people. One man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was like a little Jewish FBI. And he sent them to spy out the land. They were to go and check out the land of Canaan. And they went. And they saw that the land was the most beautiful land they had ever seen in their lives. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was truly everything that Moses said and more. And yet they also saw some giants in the land. Enemies that were going to be hard to negotiate. And so the 12 men came back, and 10 of the 12, everyone other than Joshua and Caleb, gave a negative report. And they said, there's no way in the world that we could ever do what Moses is telling us to do. We can't take possession of the land. There's giants there. And they circulated fear among the people, and the people were so freaked out, they refused to take a risk, and they didn't want to go fight for what God said was rightfully theirs. And they wandered around in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness. And they encountered every kind of hardship you could possibly imagine. Lack of food and poisonous water. There was sickness and there was death and every other kind of adversity you could possibly imagine. Then one day the word of the Lord came to Joshua. And he stood up in front of the people. And he said, I want you to know, it's a new day. It's a brand new day in God. I want you to pack your bags, and I want you to get ready, because we're crossing the River Jordan, and we're going into the promised land. 
And I can just imagine the majority of the people, you know what they were thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where have we heard that before? We've heard Moses use that text for the last 40 years. That's been his weekly message to us. And every time that we've encountered Moses, he keeps telling us that about this promise that God is going to take us into the promise. It's been 40 years we've been listening to this and nothing. And how many know Moses preached that message to his dying breath? He never stopped telling the children of Israel that God was going to bring them into their promised land. And he died before he ever saw it. He never experienced the promised land. But how many know there came a day when the word of the Lord was fulfilled? Because the word of the Lord is always fulfilled. And the children of Israel, they crossed the river Jordan. And they watched the walls of Jericho fall down flat. And they took possession of their land, the land that God had promised to them. And for the children of Israel, it was a brand new day. And years and years and years and years later, after they were established in their new land, and after God blessed them in a way that you can't even begin to imagine, and they defeated their enemies, and they built their homes, and, and they had a wonderful community taking place there in the land of Canaan. And they did exactly what God said they were going to do. They began to rebel against God. And they disobeyed the Lord. And they stopped listening and obeying the commandments and the laws that Moses had given to them. And so in response to that, God sent them prophet after prophet with a warning. A warning of judgment. And those prophets said to them, we, we, God wants you to repent and turn back to him. God needs you to get back to serving him the way that you once did. But the people refused to. And in 586, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he marched on the holy city in direct response to what God had said to him. He captured Jerusalem. He burned the city to the ground. And he led back into slavery all the people of God. They couldn't believe it was possible. No way would God ever allow for this to happen. Back into bondage in Babylon, the children of Israel found themselves. Do you know for how long? 50 years. 50 years carried away from their homeland. 50 years in a heathen, ungodly, foreign environment. And guess what? All during the 50 years that they were there, every day the prophets would stand up and they would say to the people of God, there's coming a day when God is going to bring you back to your homeland and God is going to allow you to set yourself free from this slavery that you find yourself in. All of this trouble that you're in right now, God is going to redeem it. He's going to bring you back. For 50 years they heard the prophets say that. 
the scribes and the leaders of God's people. And yet it never happened. Finally, in 536 BC, a king by the name of Cyprus, he stood up one day and he said to the children of Israel, it's a new day. And God is going to bring you back into your homeland. And can you imagine what the children of Israel were saying to themselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where have we heard this before? For 50 years, the prophets have told us that God was going to bring us home. For 50 years, we've heard scripture after scripture and prophetic word after prophetic word and the, and the, and the prophecies and the sermons and, and all of the, the exhortations, but nothing. But then by royal decree, a proclamation was made and Cyprus allowed the children of Israel to go back home. And under Nehemiah, they rebuilt their wall. And with Ezra, they rebuilt the temple. And guess what? It was a brand new day for the people of God. They came out of their slavery and they experienced a brand new day. It was a celebration time for God's people. One more. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah the prophet stood to his feet one day. Isaiah was probably the greatest prophet in the history of God's covenant people. And he declared a messianic promise, a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. He said, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And this promise of a coming Messiah, it was circulated among the people of God. Do you know for how long? 700 years. For seven long centuries, generation after generation, told the people, there's coming a day when Messiah is going to show up and he's going to set it all right. Messiah is going to set us free and he's going to be in charge forever and ever. And right around the time of Christ, the people of God, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel were under such harsh and, and iron-fisted tyranny of the Roman government that they cried out for Messiah. They heard this prophecy preached. They heard this prophecy told them for 700 years. And one day, a man by the name of Andrew he was a disciple of John the Baptist. He met Jesus, a man named Jesus. And after a couple of hours of talking to Jesus, Andrew made a beeline for Simon. That's right, Simon Peter, his brother. Andrew and Simon were brothers. And you know what Andrew said to Peter? It's a new day. I found the Messiah. The Messiah is here. And can you imagine what Simon said to his brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where have I heard that before? I've been in church my whole life. I listened to every scribe, every Pharisee, every new rabbi in town come and quote that Isaiah 9, 6 passage. 
That has been the text in the synagogue my whole life. And yet nothing. And how many of you know it was a new day for the children of Israel? It was a time of celebration. It was a time to rejoice because God, because God was doing something new even though the people didn't know anything about it. Are you getting this? Is this starting to register a little bit in your heart when we call out the possibility of today being a new day? Throughout history, in all of my life, the prophetic voice of the Holy Spirit has repeatedly encouraged the church of Jesus Christ to step into a new day, to put the past behind us and to believe that there's a better tomorrow. I've heard that message my whole life. Maybe you have too. Maybe you've been a Christian for years and years and you've heard about this coming revival most of your life. And during church, you've attended church for years, you've heard the modern day prophets prophesy about the coming revival, you've heard prophetic messages coming from the preacher, and yet, from your perspective, you're not all that impressed because after all the hype and after all the fanfare, where's the holy visitation? We have been hearing about this for so long. It has been passed down from generation to generation for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where have I heard that before? Friend, it's time. I'm talking to you prophetically now. On God's calendar, it's time. I believe it. I believe that this is the time that God has set up for us. And the church and the nation and the world is ripe for revival. I believe it with all my heart. You may hear it and you may say, well, I don't think it can happen. Let me remind you that God's word said it would. God said in the last days, and I believe we're living in the last days, among the last days, he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. I believe God's in the business of doing that, and I can sense the wind of revival is beginning to blow. And you've heard me say this the last couple of weeks and months. I want it here. Yes. I want it to come here to Sterling Heights, Michigan, to Community Christian Church. In just a couple moments, we're going to make our way to the communion table. But first, I want to play a song for you. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my son, Tony, and uh, my six-year-old, grandson Giovanni they surprised us with a visit and it was during that visit that Giovanni asked me if I knew a song entitled burn the ships uh, this is something that Teresa and I have been doing with the grandkids for years and years we we pick on a, a special worship song and we, we play it, we worship the Lord together, and we try to learn something from that message. And so this time around, Gio asked me, Papa, 
have you heard the song, Burn the Ships? And I says, yeah, Gio, I'm familiar with that song. And then he, in a very passionate way, he said to me, but did you listen to the words? <laughs> he said, Papa, the message of the song is amazing. So I pulled it up on my phone, and we, we listened to it with the lyrics, and I, I had to agree with them. And we played it over and over again. We sang it. We worshiped to the Lord together. And I just fell in love with the song, and I thought that would be a perfect song for today's message. And so let me give you just a couple of the lyrics. And in fact, here's the chorus. Step into a new day. We can rise up from the dust and walk away. We can dance upon our heartache. Yeah, so light a match, leave the past, burn the ships, and don't you look back. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we believe. We believe the word of the Lord. Your word never returns void. We believe the prophets. We believe every single thing that you ever said is going to come to pass. And today, Lord, what I'm asking is that you would help our unbelief. For those of us that have been in church our whole lives, we've heard these messages, Lord. We've heard the promise of a better tomorrow. We've heard that revival's on the horizon. It's on the way. I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be open, that we would be ready to receive, that a spirit and a gift of faith would fall upon the people of Community Christian Church. Lord, we pray that we would be built up in our most holy faith and that we would see you, Lord. We would see you higher than we've ever had before, that we would see you in the midst of the darkness, that we would not focus on what's going on, we'd focus on you. I pray, Lord, that you would move among us in these closing moments. Anoint our time together at the communion table. In the name of Jesus, amen. There's a secret to walking in the experience of a new day. Of reaching out and embracing what might be something different and something better and something that's of a greater blessing and benefit for you. And the secret is you have to put the past behind you. Right. You can't live in the past. You can't focus in on what has already happened. All of the darkness that you sense around you, all of the mistakes that you've made, all of the discouragement, all the disappointment that we find in our world today, the brokenness, the pain. You can't live there. You have to turn away from that. You have to walk away. And I know that's easier said than done because the Bible says we have an adversary. His name is the devil. And he always wants to remind us of the past. He always wants to tell us how bad it is. The devil's forever pointing to the darkness. He's forever highlighting and featuring and showcasing all of the negative things in the world. You know, the scripture says that he accuses the brethren, you and me, day and night. And do you know where he does that at? Do you know where the location of his accusation is? Who knows it? 
the throne of God's grace. It's the throne of God. The scripture says he's there day and night before the throne making accusation against us, reminding God how bad we are, reminding God how much we messed up and reminding ourselves of that too. And earlier, when I was going over the powerful grace Bible verses, I asked you to remember Hebrews 4.16. It says that we can come boldly. God invites us to come boldly so that we could find the help and the grace that we need. And where, where's that location at? Oh, it's the throne of grace. So there at the throne, there's this battle going on. God's inviting us to come for grace. He's inviting us to come for help and everything that we need. And at the same exact location, the devil's pointing his finger in our face and saying, you don't belong here. Look how badly you messed up. Look at what you did. You're not worthy. Well, we know we're not worthy. A battle takes place each and every day at the throne of God's grace. Which voice are you going to listen to? The accusations of the enemy or the word of the Lord saying to you, it's a brand new day. It's a brand new time for you. It's a better day. There's hope. There's promise that God will be with us and that's what we need. You know, the influence of the enemy in our lives is powerful. We experience it all the time. And the scripture says there's only one way to defeat the enemy. It's with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And the blood of the lamb is what this communion service is all about. And last month during the True or False series, I detailed out the blood of the lamb. I spent a lot of time talking to you about what happened when Jesus went to the cross and as the final sacrifice, he died there, he shed his blood that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And when you believe that, when you believe on the cross, Jesus overcame the powers of death, hell and the grave, that's your personal testimony. And together, what Jesus has done and our acceptance of what he has done, that's what defeats the enemy. It's the only way that we can tell the enemy to go fly a kite. And we remember all that this morning because Jesus asked us to. The scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup and again he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's in my blood. It's been established in my blood for your victory. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. You declare the power of his death and his resurrection in defeating the accusations of the enemy. Can I, can I get you to just bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes? I'm wondering how many people, not if there's one or two, but how many of you would honestly and openly say, 
I need a new day in God. I'm tired. Can I, can I get you to raise your hand if that would be you? I'm tired. Oh, you can put it back down. Thank you. It's pretty much everybody. We all need to experience God in a brand new way. And the circumstance of your life might not change today. It might not get any better. You might not see the darkness lighten up at all. But the glory and the power and the promise of God's strength rests upon you. It does. That's what the word of God says. The power of the Lord rests upon you. And so, Father, I pray for those who lifted their hands today. I pray across the audience, those who are listening to me, watching, those who will listen and watch in days to come, Lord, this is a new day for us. It's a time to acknowledge that you want to do something new in our hearts. You want to do something new in our lives. I pray for those who are in pain, Lord, those who are having physical problems, those who are struggling with their marriage, those, Lord, who are anxious, afraid, alone, having financial problems, looking for a new job, a new career change, whatever it might be, Lord, we step into a new day. We turn our back on the past. And I pray, Lord God, for something powerful to happen among the people of God. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Father, I just ask that you administer in these closing moments. I pray for the spirit of rejoicing and celebration. I pray, Lord, that we could dance upon the heartache. Do something among us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.